again. I'm Ryan, and uh, this is Living Waters, so hopefully you're in the right spot. Um, it's not like freshman year geometry where you're like, oh, Jesus, this, I thought it was geography. Um, this is Living Waters. And uh, this is, in fact, as Nisha mentioned, this is Pentecost Sunday. So as a, as a Pentecostal church, you know what we're going to do. We're going to preach. Uh, we're going to preach Acts chapter 2. Can you turn me down about three clicks? Um, so I can yell. <laughs> Who's got a hanky and a flag for me? Come on. Yes, there it is. I need them both at the same time. Um, but as it is Pentecost Sunday, it's, it's pretty cool because um, we started a series on Acts last year. And, uh, and as we journeyed through our series of Acts, we got about halfway through and then we did our end of the year stuff, and then we did our beginning of the year stuff, intimacy, identity, inheritance, and now um, we went through foundations. If you, if you missed any of that, those are all archived for you. We record those live, and, and this morning there is no live stream, but typically there's a live stream, and then we take those recordings and we archive those. So if you missed, uh, if you're newer to Living Waters and you missed any of the foundation series Sundays that we did, those are great. They're available for you. You can grab onto those. And now... Um, finally, we can come back into our series of Acts. So maybe you were here when we began that and you, you're able to just jump back in. I think we made it to Acts 15. Uh, and then we did, oh, I know what we did. We did Acts 15. 15. Oh, okay. Yep, we did Acts 15. Then we paused and we did a series on lament. Uh, and then we did our end of the year stuff. And so we are going to be jumping back into our series on Acts. And the heart that we felt like God was inviting us into in that series on Acts was, was to look into the book of Acts and ask ourselves, what does it look like? We're seeing in Acts a community of transformation, but we're also asking ourselves, what does it look like for us to be a community of transformation? And so I believe that this is a powerful message for the time and the space that Living Waters is in, that we are in as a community, that we are in as a family. And so, and, and being Pentecost Sunday, I just want to allow us to look at Acts chapter 2 and understand that Pentecost, that Holy Spirit outpouring that, that Nisha alluded to where Jesus said, wait until you have received power on high, that it's good that I go away, that you would receive the comfort of the teacher, that you would receive the Spirit. And so that's what today really is all about. And so I want to look at this, what I believe, Acts chapter 2, I believe is, the, is the, the, one of the greatest moments in human history. I, I, I can't really overstate it in my own personal opinion. Um, I believe that this is the moment in human history that changed everything. And so I want to honor that space a little bit, using this morning to talk about Acts chapter 2, using this morning to get you back acclimated again with Acts, and then for the next few weeks, several weeks, we'll be uh, continuing as we walk through Acts. So let's begin by looking at John chapter 7. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said this to his followers. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So in that invitation, that same invitation of John 3, 16, who, whosoever believes in me. So if you're here this morning and you are professing belief in Jesus, the expectation is that Jesus was speaking of his disciples, his followers, but also speaking to us as followers and believers in Jesus. If anyone believes in me, out of their heart, as scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet 
the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the life breath of God, had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this passage, Jesus is setting up something that's going to take place to his believers, saying the Spirit is going to pour into you and pour out of you like a river of living water for those who believe. But it was going to take place when Jesus was glorified. So then moving forward in this, in this journey, it brings us to Acts chapter 1. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them, to his followers, with many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a span of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. So for 40 days, Jesus, after his resurrection, he's showing up to his disciples. The Pentecost was a, was a feast that happened 50 days after Passover. And so he's during that 50-day span, for 40 of those days, he's showing himself to his disciples, and he's showing them many convincing proofs that he was alive, and he appeared to them over that span of 40 days, he spoke to them about what? What did Jesus come for those 40 days? What was his intent and his heart? I love this. His heart was kingdom. He came to teach them about the kingdom of God. And while they were gathered together, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of the Father, the gift the Father promised, which you have heard me discuss. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized, you will be immersed with the Holy Spirit. Your life will be consumed by the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 1. And so again, his, his followers are hearing Jesus talking about this promised gift of the breath of God, the life breath of God, the presence of God, the Spirit of God that was going to be poured out upon them in a tangible way that was different than what they had experienced throughout human history up until that point. And so he said, wait for the gift the Father has promised. In Acts 1.8, he goes on to say, when this takes place, I'm, or he said, I'm going to send you what my father has promised in Luke 24. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so their instruction was to wait in the city, to be clothed with power. And then that they were going to be witnesses. They were going to testify and teach and carry the message of Jesus throughout their entire known world. So this great outpouring of God's spirit, of boldness, of power and presence. Listen, I want you to pick up on this. It didn't coincide with everything going perfectly well for them. It was during, I, I could list a hundred different things that were going on in the lives of Jesus' followers. But government oppression was definitely one of them ongoing political upheaval, constant confusion. They were dealing with loss and the grief of their friend being crucified. They were dealing with the confusion of what was going on. They were dealing with him leaving them as he left to go to be, um, to go to heaven as he, as he left. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And so there, there have this confusion. God, what is going on? What is the plan? And, and all of the different things that are happening. And so it wasn't into a perfect situation that God poured out his spirit this breath of life. It was on to people who were broken. They had broken plans. They had confusion. They were afraid. Persecution was beginning to happen. All of these different things were ramping up. And so they're waiting in this upper room going, God, what is the next step for us? And he, as they waited, God's spirit poured his spirit out upon them. And it lit a fire in them that I believe is still burning today. And we won't go into all the numbers of the power of that reality, but the things that shifted as the church was born, as this ecclesia, this, 
this set-apart people was, was emboldened to, be test, to testify of Jesus and of the truth of Jesus and to take the gospel around the world, it is still expanding today. And it is our fervent belief that we are still living in that absolute outpouring that happened on the day of Pentecost, that the Spirit of God is as active and present today as he was in that moment when he poured out, and that if we will surrender our lives to him, if we will live with space for him to move in us and through us, we too get to be a participant in this outpouring, in this kingdom, and in the gospel that is going out around the world in numbers that we have never seen in human history. And when we get very small with our look and we get very regional with our understanding of what the kingdom is doing and how the church is thriving, we hear stories of the demise of the church and the leaving of the church and this and that, and we start to see very small picture that is somewhat America-centric, that the gospel is struggling and the church is struggling, but we lose the reality of the worldwide move of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is growing at record numbers and expanding to every tribe and every tongue, every people group, and that his kingdom and his church is well and good and flourishing from this moment that the Spirit poured out and is continuing today. And as it ebbs and flows within our own lives or it ebbs and flows within our own culture, let's not allow that to be the story for everyone around the world. Sometimes it's very healthy for us to step back and to go, God, show us where you're moving and what is happening. And, and, and it, maybe next week or one of the weeks we have in Acts, I'll spend some more time on those numbers and statistics because it's fascinating to see what God is doing around the world. But in the, in, in the interest of time for this morning, let me just remind you that God's kingdom and his church is healthy and moving, and there are things that we need to confront. There are things that we need to deal with. There are things where there is a recession sometimes in, in what is going on within a certain nation or within a certain culture, and we need to be aware of that. We need to take responsibility for that. We need to find ourselves as people who would say, God, here I am, God. Use me for my nation. Use me for my family. Use me for my workplace or my school. Or, or find me on my knees seeking you and then seeking your instructions on how to walk that out powerfully in your spirit, but still believing that God is moving in his church and in his kingdom and that he isn't looking for perfect people or perfect circumstances to pour himself out. As they were waiting in the upper room, as I said earlier, they were feeling undone. Hope was broken. Expectations were shattered. Their plans were in shambles, and everything was a mess, and they had given their all to this cause, and they were in a way of speaking, they were left holding the bag because Jesus was gone. And he's like, just wait in the city. And that's their instructions. Okay, well, we'll wait. But I gave up my entire life, my livelihood, my home, whatever it might be. I gave it up to follow you. And now you're gone. And so they chose to wait. And it was in those moments when everything wasn't perfect that God chose to move. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost come, came. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. In this beautiful moment of proclaiming the greatness of Jesus in a language that every single person who had traveled from afar to, to, this, to the festival of Pentecost to, to observe it were able to hear the proclamation of the goodness and the power and the gospel of Jesus in their own language. The Spirit poured out upon them in a powerful way. And so I would say this to you. Maybe you're feeling that you'd love to be used by God. Maybe you would love to carry his message of reconciliation to people around you, to your family, to the world around you, to your school, your workplace, or whatever it might be. And you feel disqualified because of circumstances. You're looking at your life and saying, 
my family life is too messy. My marriage isn't perfect. My, my job is a dead-end job, or I just went through a breakup, or I, I'm dealing with a personal failure, or my social status at school isn't really one that people are going to listen to me. Whatever the, pace, the case may be, hear me in this. God doesn't look for perfect situations. He looks for presence-hungry people. And so if you're trying to hold up your perfect situation for God to pour himself out on, my challenge to you today is to stop trying to make everything perfect, to let go of that, and just to hold up the availability of your life and your heart and your time to him and watch how he pours out upon you. And I know that this can sound a little bit trite. It can sound a little bit religious-y to say, oh, God just wants to pour himself out no matter where you're at, no matter what's going on. He's going to use you. He wants to pour himself out on you. But I know in my own life of the things that I've walked through, the things that I am walking through, that even in tragedy, God is up to something. And God's plans for you and for your life cannot be defeated even by your failures, even by your mistakes, even by tragedies and difficulties that you're facing today. He is that good, and he wants to pour himself out upon you. Your messy circumstances don't disqualify you. As I was getting ready to go back into Acts, I looked back at the last message that I taught um, in the book of Acts. And a couple weeks before we did the Lament series, uh, I taught a couple more chapters in Acts. But when I stopped, the last message that I taught um, was on, on August 1st. And it was um, that was three days before my brother passed away. Um, and, I, and, I, and I was looking back and I was like, okay, God, what did, I, what did we teach? What did we talk about? That's the chapter that talks about Stephen. And, uh, and Stephen, how his life was given for the gospel and how it seemed that Stephen was positioned for this, to be this radical leader in the early church. He was going to take the place of Peter. He was rising up into that occasion. He was going to be the one that held at the crossroads a lot of what Paul eventually held. He was going to hold the, that crossroads between the Jews and the Gentiles, and he had a message and ability to, to preach it and proclaim it. His life was, was being affirmed by signs and wonders, and suddenly before it could even start, he was stoned to death right there as Paul watched and and, I, and, and this is what I spoke to the church. And so if any of the things that I sound, say sound trite to you, this was the last words that I said. Even in tragedy, God is up to something. His plans cannot be defeated. But then I said this, God does his best work at dead ends. Don't look for them, but don't avoid them either. When the best plans get broken to pieces, when we are broken to pieces, God is creating something beautiful. It's okay. Gives me a chance not to cry. It's cool. <laughs> Kidding. It's that moment where we suddenly forget how our phones work. It's like you've been using it for how many years and now I'm like, I don't know. You've never even seen it before. What is this thing? So to step back into that. When the plans get broken to pieces, when we're broken to pieces, God is creating something beautiful. I often, not to make it seem silly, but I think a lot of times we're trying to design this perfect, like, like we want to re, um, remodel our kitchen and we want to lay this beautiful tile work and we got it all lined out in our head and it's going to be, this tile's going to go here and it's going to look amazing. And then our own choices, things happen pallet of tiles falls off and everything breaks and we're like oh no God I can't make my perfect plan I had it all lined out it was going to be a great design it was going to all make sense 
And he's like, just let me have the pieces because he's truly building a mosaic. He's building something beautiful out of those things when we allow him to have access to him. And, and, and that's what I've experienced in my life. And I'm not trying to sound simplistic to say when God sees your life imperfect or not available to him, he's going, I want to use you. I want, I don't, do not lay down your gifts. Don't forget, just pour, push into me and let me use everything all of these broken pieces to make a mosaic that shouts of my beauty and shouts of my goodness because I have found this to be true, that God is infuriatingly good. And I'll unpack that for you another time if you want. So your messy circumstances don't disqualify you. In fact, what you're walking through can create a desperation and a hunger for God that probably doesn't exist in your life when things are going well. But don't hear me say that God is causing the upheaval or the, to, you know, to fabricate hunger. I'm saying that your circumstances are doing that very well on their own if you will allow them. <laughs> say, God, I'm desperate for you. I need you. I'm hungry for you. And allow that desperation and that hunger to grow. I contend that the people in the upper room that day in Acts chapter 2 on that day of Pentecost, that God found them desperate, hungry, and available. These are three things that you cannot make up on your own. You can't fabricate desperation. His people that day were feeling high and dry, so to speak. If you are self-sufficient, you aren't God-dependent. And they were having that sense of self-sufficiency removed right out from under them. And their response was, we will wait. We will wait for God. We will wait for his promise. You can't fabricate desperation. You also can't fabricate hunger. If you've eaten a giant meal, you can't pretend to be hungry. There's no working up hunger. It comes from a lack. It comes from a lack of food and sustenance. And eventually your body goes, I want food. And I will say this about a hunger for God. You guys have heard me say it a dozen times before. Is that so often in this life, we've got a, a hundred different things that we use to satiate the spiritual and emotional hunger that would be set aside for us, for God, if we would stop filling it with temporary things, right? Parents, stop eating those snacks. You're going to ruin your dinner, right? This, is, this, I believe, is what God says to me. Why are you filling up that place of need with that? Why are you getting your need met in that way, in that way, in that way? Back away from that stuff and let a true spiritual hunger begin to rise in your life that only I can satisfy. The people in the upper room that day were hungry for God. And you can't fabricate that. You cannot fabricate availability. Too often we profess a desire to be used by God. But we have no space in our lives for Him to actually use us or move us or rearrange our schedule. To be people of Pentecost, to be people of the outpouring, to be people who surrender our lives to the move of the Spirit. It does take a have a heart in us of desperation, of hunger, but also of that place of availability. We can be in this room all we want and say, God, I want you, I want more of you, I need you, I need more of you. I, all of we say all those things, we sing those things, we, we say amen to all of those things, but if we walk out of this door and we have not made an availability, if we have not learned to create space in our life for a God who wants to pour himself out upon us and through us, then we are lying to ourselves and we're creating a place where we're asking God for something that we have no intention of receiving. And then we blame God for the lack. So in Acts, we are challenged to bring our whole selves, our whole story to God. To be a radical community. To be centered on Christ. 
to be full of the Holy Spirit. That's what Acts is about. That's why I believe that we are called into this season of Acts in 2021 and 2022. Why are we going to be in this place? Because it's a small community of people who chose to set themselves apart until God's Spirit poured out upon them. And then from that moment forward, they just said, yes, God, yes, God, show us how to release what you have given to us. That's the kind of community that I believe God is positioning us to be. And that's why we're spending time in the book of Acts, to be a family, a spirit-filled, spirit-led community, to be transformed and then to bring transformation. Here's the crux of Acts and why it matters in 2022. Times are changing. You may be aware of this. Uh, things are changing around us pretty rapidly, but God is not and his plan is not. His intentions have not changed and have not shifted and what he desires to do are not being undone by the things that are happening in uh, or around our lives or in our culture or around our culture in the, uh, in the business, economic field, in the political sphere, in, in whatever sphere you want to look at. The things that are going on there are not undoing God's intention or his plans or his ability to continue to pour his presence and spirit out upon his people to see the things that he desires accomplished, which is that his kingdom would come, his will would be done, that we would experience heaven on earth as it, or here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he wants us to bring with us everywhere that we go and in everything that we do. God create powerful opportunities for us and through us as we are distinct from the world unique in the world and as we remain available to the world. Let me say that again. As we as people, as followers of Jesus, are distinct from the world, unique in the world, and as we remain available to the world. This is hard for us when we are surrounded by culture and surrounded by life and we're saying, okay, God, how do we live in the world but not be of the world? You are unique, you remain distinct, but you also, as I said earlier, just remaining available. Our commission has not changed in the midst of changing time. It is to carry a message of reconciliation of Jesus, that we have a good father and that his sons and daughters need to hear the story of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the father except through Jesus. And they need you as ambassadors of that message of reconciliation to carry that to every son and daughter who is far from home so that you would find them there and tell them that they have a place at the table and you would love to walk them home in their relationship with Jesus to bring them to the Father. This is what we get to carry in that message of reconciliation. As we look at the rest of Acts, as we continue on this journey of Acts, it will challenge us, it will commission us to continue the story that these folks way back on the day of Pentecost began to lay down our lives to carry Jesus to people right where we're at, living right where they're at, and meeting them in their place of need as a transformational community. What does this look like in real, real life? So let's get practical for just a minute. Let me pull out some observations as we reacquaint ourselves with the book of Acts. And here's, I want to ask you guys three practical questions really quick. So moving forward in that, in that book of Acts, after his spirit poured out, Acts 2 goes on to say this. So in Acts 2, after the spirit was poured out, thousands of people came to know him. When people heard the message of Jesus being Proclaimed in their language, they came to follow Jesus. And Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being preserved and set apart, those who were being saved, those who were being preserved and set apart. So they had this moment of the Spirit being poured out and there was this time of favor where people were joining them. But then what happened in Acts 4, if we jump on to Acts 4, Peter and John had been brought before the religious rulers of the day and they were told to stop proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And they said this, they got back together and they began to pray together. And they said, now Lord, consider their threats. They said, if you don't stop proclaiming Jesus, you're going to be thrown into prison, you're going to be beaten, all these things. So they said, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place, this is Acts 4, this is this mirroring what happened in Acts 2. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So the Spirit was poured out again in, in the way that we might express that. And then it goes on to say in verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles, the, the, the leaders of this community, they continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From then, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So let's get on board with that, huh? No, just kidding, sorry. I'll take your house deeds and your... Uh... So what was, what was taking place in Acts 2 and 4, this early church, was this serving, this laying down of lives, this laying down of possessions. Why? Because if they had been brought to a place by the Spirit, they had been brought to a place of unity and oneness and connectedness that was so powerful and they were choosing to break these convenient models and rhythms of their life and they were laying down their comforts and they were laying down their rights and these things were no longer as important to them as these as taking care and moving out tangibly as an expression of the gospel to the people around them they were detaching from selfishness and they were living for others they were living beyond themselves. They were living outside of themselves. And their eyes began to be replaced with the Spirit of God's eyes to see the needs and to see people differently around them and want to rise up to make sure that the people that were joining their community and the people around their community were cared for, as a again, as a tangible expression of the presence of Jesus in their lives. This was radical, Jesus-centered, Spirit-filled community that looks like not a balance between the practical and the spiritual, but an actual interwovenness of the practical and the spiritual. And too often in church, we go way to the practical or we go way to the spiritual. But what we see in this outpouring, outpoured community was that the interwovenness of the practical and the spiritual went hand in hand. When they were together, when the Spirit was poured out upon them, they moved spiritually. They had awe and wonder at the signs and the miracles that were taking place. And they had people saying yes to the gospel of Jesus. And they were taking care of the tangible needs of the community around them. It was that love of God that was compelling them to share Jesus with people, but to also be, also be the tangible uh, expression of Jesus to them. 
They had a sense of belonging to one another. They had a sense of purpose. They had a sense of this timing that they were in to give what they had and to watch it be multiplied. The gospel created this bond in a community and it exploded when the Holy Spirit was poured out and that's what we're looking back at on this day of Pentecost, but it's also what I want us to be in a place of invitation to say, God, would you do that here? Would you do that amongst this community and among this, amongst this family? So practically, let me ask you these three questions as we wrap up our time. In just a minute, the worship team is going to come back up here and lead us in some response time. A spirit-filled community tears down differences and the walls between people, and it draws people together. So my question to you personally, do you have a place where you can meet with other believers and other people and allow the walls of your life to come down? Super practical, really easy answer. I don't need your yeah, but, or will I, uh, no, no. Yes or no? Do you have a place where you can meet with other believers and it allows the walls of your differences, the walls of your defenses to come down, that you would be known and you would know them, and in so doing, you would create a place for God's spirit to pour out upon you? Number two, in a spirit-filled, in a spirit-filled community, me and my, me and mine, these disappear from our vocabulary. They shared and they took responsibility for others. My question to you is this. Do you have a place where you are challenged to give the best of what you have to see the best come out in others? Is that teaching? Is that time? Is that resources? Is it just showing up for people? Whatever it might be. Do you have a community of people under the banner of Jesus that you run with in a way where it is not about what I can get, but it is about what I can give. And I'm not talking about taking an offering. I'm not talking about giving money to living waters. That is not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the reality where you have gotten so a hold of what God's doing in this time and place that you're willing to say, I believe you're up to something and I'm not gonna hold on to myself, my life, my stuff, instead of giving it and holding it with an open hand and say, God, whatever you need of mine, you can use. The third question I have for you this morning is this, spirit-filled community. It lives within a sense of awe. Verse 443, we talked about this. They knew they were a part of something bigger than themselves, and they were willing to adjust their lives to capture the moment to the fullest. So my question to you is this, have, you, have we lost that sense of wonder at what God is doing? When we lose a sense of awe, God is up to something. He is up to something incredible. He is up to something powerful. He is shifting things. He is making all things new. He is reaching the hearts of the most cold-hearted people that you can imagine, even yours. And he is doing this. And if we don't see it, and if we don't press into it, and if we don't approach our life with faith, with spiritual faith, to say, God, show me the miracles. I want to see with awe the things that you're doing. I want to have my eyes open to that. Then we begin to step back and say, oh, I'll step in, God, once you prove it to me. Or I'll step in with that person once they prove themselves to me. And it's really easy for us to begin to step back from and hold ourselves back from community. In a season where we have been divided and fragmented and we've gone our own ways and even in coming back together, we feel like we're different people and it may feel uncomfortable. How do I engage and step back into community? What if it started with simply a, a sense of awe? that God is calling us back together, that God is up to something. 
and that we would say yes to the things that he is doing and that that would draw us to have an awareness that this moment matters and the availability of our lives in this moment matters. Worship team, you guys can, can come on up. I want us to take a time of worship. And, and, and of course, we're gonna lead, we're gonna lead that corporately, we're gonna lead you in song, but really what this is designed to be is simply a, a moment in, of our morning where, where we can respond. First with that availability, asking the Lord to stir up hunger, stir up our desperation for Him and to, to bring us into that place of hunger. And believing that as we are in an extension time of that day of Pentecost, that his spirit is in you, is upon you as followers of Jesus. His spirit is not, his presence is not a yo-yo, okay? We're not like, oh, we got to get up to church on Sunday so we can invite the spirit to fill us. Because I, whatever I did during the week clearly made his spirit leave me. That's not the reality as followers of Jesus. His spirit is in you. His breath has been breathed into you. But we can learn to posture our lives to say, God... We want to be being filled, continually being filled. Teach me how to live my life under the waterfall of your outpouring of your presence and under the outpouring of, your, of, of what you're doing in this time. And I want to learn to live my life. As we started with that verse that says, if you believe in Jesus, he will give you his spirit. And the, t and the reality of what that looks like for us to be able to, I don't know if tested is the right word, but for us to be able to say, yeah, that's true of my life. Scripture teaches us that his spirit would pour out of you like rivers of living water everywhere that you go. And so it's important for us to live lives that are postured, not as a one-time, oh yeah, that one time God poured into me and now my life is a stagnant pond, but that my life is, a, is built as a river to come under him, to receive what he has for me, to receive his presence, and then have the river pouring out of me everywhere that I go. And so as we spend some time this morning in worship, let this be a time, let this be an opportunity for us to set our lives and our hearts aside and to create space for him to move. We want to be people who are hungry for God to move. We want to know what it looks like to carry his witness of his gospel everywhere that we go. But acts of nothing else, it reminds us that to be able to do the things that God has called us to do and be the God has called us to be and to live a life of that river of life flowing out of us. We have to be upper room people. So let's reflect for just a moment as we worship, as we take communion. Communion is available to you. It's a celebration of the completed work of Jesus so that he could make us that promise and said, it's good that I'm glorified. It's good that I go away so that my presence, my, my spirit can be poured out upon you. What does it mean to be upper room people? So that Jesus has promised us his presence. But he said, wait, don't go out into all the things until you've received this outpouring. Obviously, it wasn't a one-time thing because it happened to him again in Acts 4. It was, an, it was a, a one-time thing. It was that happened over and over. And so I want us to be people, upper room people. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, we recognize that the fulfillment of the commission that you have on us as individuals, that you have on us as a church, as a community, as a people, it is impossible apart from your empowerment. We're not looking for just a, 